And so I guess the assumption could be, well, if the word was preached to a person, that person must be an adult because they have to be able to understand it intellectually. And I would say that's just a false presupposition. That's an assumption that is against the biblical testimony. All through the scriptures, you see children who are under the preaching of the word. Children, small children. I mean, think about in the Old Testament, God always included them in the assemblies where he commanded uh, his leaders, whether they were prophets or judges, to expound the word of God. All right, Pastor Paul, let's carry forward the discussion on baptism. And something that I find pretty intriguing, oftentimes during the course of a debate, when the household baptisms get brought up from Acts and 1 Corinthians, it seems interesting to me that it's common for both sides to sort of forfeit that discussion or forfeit that argument and basically say, hey, this is an argument from silence. Neither of us really has weight um, or stock in this argument. We'll put it to the side and we'll focus on other things. And that just doesn't really sit right with me. As a Reformed Christian, we understand that the Old Testament informs our understanding of the New Testament. So help us understand, do the household baptisms play a part in the discussion on Pado versus credo baptism? And if so, how can we sort of um, relate with those examples? Yeah, I think that's great because uh, I don't like it when I see my Pado baptist brothers forfeiting that argument simply because uh, you know, you don't have any explicit commands or examples. Right. So, you know, we don't know if there's children in those particular uh -huh. households. Yeah. Because see, what's really going on is the very fact that there is a household baptism should alert the reader, the reader who has been reading the Old Testament all the way through, uh, they should see the connection that the apostles are drawing. Uh -huh. So household, in the Greek, it's the term oikos. And that's not just some term that they just decided to use. It's a technical, theological, and covenantal term that they, that they chose on purpose so that the readers would make that connection back uh, to— From the Old Testament. Back to the Abrahamic covenant. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. it would have been immediately familiar to them. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, obviously the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is the Septuagint, you know, the 70, LXX, yeah. right? Um, that Greek translation uses the term oikos in connection with the Abrahamic covenant. Okay. Uh, so, you know, God comes to Abraham in Genesis 17, and when he introduces the sign and seal of the covenant, which is circumcision, he requires Abraham to circumcise not just himself, but all the males of his household. That's right. And so Abraham is obedient. Uh, Genesis 17, 23. It says, So Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same yeah. day. Abraham's house. Oikos. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you see the same term arise in the New Testament, it's not a term that just the apostles chose without mm -hmm. thinking about it. They are making an intentional connection to say, what we are doing with baptism is exactly what God told Abraham to do with circumcision. Right. So you see that. Yep. And, and that's why I think these household baptisms are very significant. Yep. So you draw on the oikos principle, we can call it, which we see established very clear in the Old Testament, and we see it carried forward into the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So the next question is, what about the members of the oikos or the household? 
are they the same members? So in the Old Testament, of course, we had the believers and their family, their children. Is it the same situation in the New Testament? Is it still the believers and their children? Or is the household, with regard to covenant language, just the believers? Yeah, that I guess that's a good question, because the only way out of this, once you establish the continuity in, in the terminology and in the concept of, of a household, oikos, is the only way out of it is to change the definition of a household. Mm. So when you get to the book of Acts, yeah, you see whole households getting baptized, and we have to say, well, households no longer include children. Uh-huh. And I think that would be a stretch. We can't do that. The definition never changes. Um, you could see it in, in a passage in 1 Timothy. So Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, mm-hmm. uh, the Apostle Paul's talking about the qualifications for eldership, right? And he says that an elder must be one who rules his own household, oikos, mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And then to explain that, he says, having his children in subjection with all gravity. So there you can see that in Paul's mind, the children are still part and parcel of the biblical definition of a household, household, right? right. Because he defines the household by the children. Mm -hmm. And and the same thing is true in our day too. I mean, you know, if you, if you saw a man who's living on his own, you could say that he constitutes a household of one. And then if he takes a wife, now he's a household of two, sure. Two. Uh And if they have a child, then it's a household of three, three. right? Exactly. So, so when you, when you could just look at the logic of it, what you realize is that children are always included in the definition of a biblical household if and when they are present. Now, that last piece is very important because you could baptize a whole household, but if the household has no children, then in that particular instance, no children are being baptized. Mm -hmm. But you might baptize another household that has our children. Yeah, they might have sure. five or six. Like if if they were to baptize my household, there's a whole lot of kids there. There's a lot of kids yep. there, right? And in that case, you would have a lot of kids being baptized because they are members of the household. household. Yeah, and so that's that's really helpful. So once we establish those two principles or models, the fact that the household principle carries forward from the Old Testament into the New, we see the same language between the two, and that definitionally it's the same members. Now bridging that gap that gives us a much better idea of what's actually going on in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So let's look at some of the examples we have in the book of Acts, uh, maybe in 1 Corinthians as well. Uh, And let's look a little bit closer at those because the next argument is, well, you can't prove from the text that there's any kids in those homes that are being baptized. So again, it's the argument from silence. We're going to put it to the side, but you wouldn't say so, right? No, and and that's the importance of establishing everything we've established so far. Sometimes our arguments are so precise and they're so sharp. Uh-huh. It's like if you were in in a fight and the person had a razor blade that was so sharp and he cut you and you didn't even feel it. Yeah. But after a while, you bleed out. Mm-hmm. And this is this is how sharp the argument is because it doesn't matter whether or not there were children in these particular homes. What we see is a model that is identical to the model that has always been used in God's covenant dealings. Absolutely. So whether there's children or not is irrelevant. But as you do look at these examples from the book of Acts, um, just think about Acts chapter 16. We've got two right there. Mm -hmm. You've got the household of Lydia, and then you've got the household of the Philippian jailer, right? right? In both of those instances, you see 
uh, a perfect model of the Oikos principle in operation. Okay. okay? So just think about Acts uh, 16 verses 14 through 16. This is Lydia. It says that there was a certain woman named Lydia who heard the apostles preaching on the Sabbath by by the river. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. That's probably meaning that she's a proselyte Jew. Mm -hmm. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household, Oikos, were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house, Oikos, and stay. So she persuaded us. Okay. So what do we see here? Well, what we see is that Lydia is the only one in the text who is converted. The Lord opened her heart. Right. So she's the only one who believes the word that's being preached. She took heed unto the words of Paul. Mm -hmm. And yet, even though she's the only one whose faith is mentioned and conversion mentioned, she and her whole household are baptized. Right. So... The text says nothing about any of the other members of the household, how old they were, whether they had repentance or faith or some profession of faith, uh, whether there was some conversion in their hearts. It doesn't matter. The thing that matters is that in keeping with the Oikos principle, the head of household is converted. The head of the household uh, believes, and then all the other members of the household are also baptized. And we know she's the head of the household because she says, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, then come into my house. Yeah. And so, so this, this short little narrative here is perfect because it's, it's kind of irrespective of any of the other points. Mm-hmm. The Oikos principle is clear. The believer is baptized, the home follows forward. That's the Oikos principle. So without adding too much more detail, it's really clear. This is the household Cut principle. We don't need to add more detail because the readers and the listeners of this text would have understood exactly what's going yep. on here. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and actually, believe it or not, the Philippian jailer, that issue is exactly the same. Right. So Acts chapter 16, verse 34, you know, you skip the whole story, but mm-hmm. you get to this, this point where it says, then he, that is the jailer, brought them, the apostles, up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. So there you can see he had believed in God, mm-hmm. and then the next thing that you learn is that he is baptized, and his household is baptized as well. Right. So same principle, head of household believes, and yet he brings his whole family, his whole household uh, into the sacrament of baptism. Yep. So we see some similarities here, but there's definitely some more nuance to uh, the case here with the Philippian jailer. So I'm hearing some of the Baptist arguments already circling in my ear. Um, what's different here, though, Pastor Paul, is that the Philippian jailer is said to have had the Apostle Paul preach to the entire home. So we can't have children in the home if the the Apostle said to be preaching to them. What do we have children just, uh, you know, to the side, not paying attention? Or what exactly is going on here? If, if uh, Right. Yeah. I think you're talking about verse 32. The yeah. apostles preached to all who were in the house, yeah. right? And so I guess the assumption could be, well, if the word was preached to a person, that person must be an adult because they have to be able to understand it intellectually. Right. And I would say that's just a false presupposition. That's an assumption that is um, against the biblical testimony. Now, all through the scriptures, you see children who are under the preaching of the word, 
children, small children. I mean, think about in the Old Testament, God always included them in the assemblies where he commanded uh, his leaders, whether they were prophets or judges, Mm -hmm. to expound the word of God. Deuteronomy 31.12, gather the people together, men, women, and children, and the stranger that is within your gates, that they may hear, that they may learn, and fear the Lord your God, and observe to do all the words of this law. Joshua chapter 8, verses 34 and 35 says, And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word that Moses commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and with the little ones. Right. So the children are obviously here listening. They're recipients of the preaching or the teaching. Yeah, and and there's a different capacity for children in terms of the degree that they can understand or whatever, Mm -hmm. but you can't say that because the apostles preached to all who were in the house, therefore there were no children in the house. That just doesn't follow. Yeah, that doesn't fit the Bible. No. Um, Okay, so the the next objection that's very common for the Philippian Philippian jailer uh, Mm -hmm. case here is the fact that uh, the entire household is said to rejoice along with the Philippian jailer. So how can we say that there's children in here that are rejoicing alongside of them? A two-year-old can't rejoice with the Philippian jailer. Yeah, there's a couple of things going on here. First, let me just make a point from the grammar, okay? Um, In the Greek, anytime there is more than one person who is participating in the action, the verb will be given in the plural form, okay? Not Mm -hmm. the singular, but the plural. They rejoiced. They believed, right? But in Acts chapter 16, verse 34... There are four different actions being taken, Mm. and all the verbs that describe those actions are in the singular, okay? So it's the Philippian jailer alone who brought the apostles into his house. It says, he brought them. He set food before them. And then it says, he rejoiced, and there's this little phrase, with his household, panoiki. Mm -hmm. That just shows you the context in which he rejoiced. And then it says that he rejoiced that he had believed in God. So that's pepistukos. That's a singular action. Mm-hmm. It's not they believed, they rejoiced. It's he believed, he rejoiced, you see? So that's a grammatical point that we should not overlook in our exegesis of this passage. There are four verbs. They're all in the singular. Yeah. It's the Philippian jailer alone who's performing them. And, and you brought to my attention the ESV translation probably gives us the the best or most accurate grammatical mm-hmm. uh, understanding of what's actually being said here in the Greek. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's your best translation. Yeah. King James Version, I love it. Uh, New King James Version, that's what we use in our church. But when it comes to this text, if you want to honor uh, the syntax mm-hmm. and uh, you know what we really do have in the Greek, I think the ESV really captures it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's and helpful. then also, I would say this, though, because it's important. It's not that, that we're making our case just from grammar. But think about the argument that's being said against us. Mm -hmm. It's just like saying, well, if the word was preached to all who were in the house, therefore there couldn't have been any children. That was false. And now the argument is, well, if the Philippian jailer is rejoicing and if his household is participating in that rejoicing, if they are, Mm -hmm. then certainly there can't be little children included in that because Mm -hmm. little children don't and cannot rejoice. Right. That too is false. I mean, think about Luke chapter one, verse 44, John the Baptist, who is still a baby in his mother's womb is said to leap for joy. So you have a little baby rejoicing. 
And if you really believe what your Bible says, you will find babies uh, performing actions that are amazing. Uh, Psalm 22, David says that he trusted in God. He put his hope in God while he was still upon his mother's breast. Mm -hmm. Psalm 8 says that God has ordained perfected praise from the mouths of nursing infants. And, you know, Jesus appeals to that passage in Matthew 21. And then later, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, from your infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. So how can we say a young child knows the Scriptures, has perfected praise that belong to Jesus Christ, and is trusting in God from his mother's breast? Well, we can say those things because the scripture says right. those things. Well, we could say all those things, but there's no way that a child would have rejoiced in the home of the Philippian jailer. <laughs> right. So by yeah. the time you get to the Philippian jailer's home, even if you wanted to make the case that they were all rejoicing, you still can't say, therefore, children were not there. Right. Yeah. It just, it doesn't follow. Yeah. Well, that's been very helpful. That really kind of gives us a better understanding of what's going on. And I think that also reminds us, especially as as covenant reformed Christians, um, that the household baptism examples definitely lend a helping hand in the discussion on uh, pedo baptism. So thank you for adding a little bit of uh, nuance to this and helping us bridge some of that gap. We'll have more discussions because I'm sure there's uh, more objections. The more points that we lay forward, there's going to be more objections. So we're happy to address some of those in future episodes. Thank you, Pastor Paul. You're welcome.